Hello, friends, and welcome to Happy Sad Talk Thing. This is your host, Mac and Carol here. Just wanted to say welcome, and I apologise for my horrible-sounding voice this week. You know, it uh, sounds a bit like sandpaper on asphalt. <laughs> oh, man. Wow. It has been a day. It has been a day. Um, my voice is a bit hoarse. It's a bit better now. I had some of that throat coat tea. Um, that tastes like a cough drop. Um, but it does a trick, man. I had a, I had a little bit of tone to my voice today. I mean, it, I just sounded like fucking a retired Broadway soprano <laughs> all day. I was just like, hello, everyone. Um, haven't been sleeping very much. And, uh, you know, I finally get one night where I can sleep in, one night where my roommate is out of town, and it's like, I'm so excited to get all the rest, you know, that's been escaping me. And, of course, you know, can't sleep. I'm lying awake all night, <laughs> filled with thoughts and, and snot, so much snot coming out of my face, spilling my nose all night. Um, yeah, you know, and uh, that uh, is... Exactly the type of information that you have requested when in all of your emails. So if you're listening to this right now and you're like, why is he talking like this? It's because the fans demand it. No one demands anything. I actually just sort of make this on my own. If you'd like to demand something, just text me because you probably know me if you listen to this because this goes out to my Facebook friends. And my real friends and the Venn diagram of people who exist that are both my Facebook friends and my real friends. Um, yeah, so just text me or you can email me at my exclusive email, which is pizza is cool 26 at gmail.com. That's a real thing. Email me there. Um, if you have any questions and I'll answer them and I'll talk about them. Um, yeah, it's the last week of school this week. You know, it's the final frontier. It's the, it's the big one. Um, this I intended to start a list of metaphors there. It didn't really happen because my synapses they're not firing. You know, I'm uh, pretty low energy, but I'm in I'm in decent spirits. You know, sometimes you're wiped out and your heart is also wiped out. I'm you know my body's pretty wiped out, but my heart's aight. You know, because I've been playing lots of Super Mario Brothers with my friends, and that I mean all the colors in that game. Whoo, that's enough to fill your heart up right there. You know, I've been having some sandwiches, some good sandwiches, and there's been good podcasts lately, and I've been listening to good records, you know, and just, it's so easy to let all that stuff escape you, you know, <clears throat> when you get busy, but man, if you take a second and you listen to just like a song, <laughs> you know, you listen to like a really good song, fuck, dude, it's amazing, I, I, I uh, I find myself still nerding out over records, and that makes me very happy. Um, you know, as I've been growing up, I, there, especially being a music student, there are days where I'm not dorkishly excited about music, you know? And it breaks my heart a little bit, you know? I know that the 13-year-old version of myself would be sad if I passed up an opportunity to go to a concert or something or didn't want to listen to a record, um, a new record or something that came out, like... I didn't listen to the new Deadweather record as soon as it came out, and I know that the 15 or 16-year-old me would be like, that's sacrilege, man, you know? Like, when the second one came out, you <laughs> you pre-ordered it, and you 
you know, you skip school and you listen to it like three times in your garage. <laughs> you know, and this new one came out and I like, you know, streaming. I was like, oh, it's there. I'll get it when it when I have time to listen to it. Um, but then, you know, there are days when, like lately, the album Carrie and Lowell by Sufjan Stevens has been blowing my mind. It is such an incredible album. And it's like so important to I me. Mean, <laughs> it's like really getting me through some some tough times. And um I just I, I'm I'm relieved and excited that I, I, I you can still find that part of yourself. And I, I don't think that that ever has to go away. I don't think you just get up and you stop loving stuff. Um, I think you just have to work harder, you know, and because uh, when you're young and you haven't experienced anything, everything is new and exciting, you know, but then as you grow up, you start to get more jaded and you've seen stuff. So you're harder to impress and whatever. Um, but I always get angry when I when people are like, the music isn't even good anymore. <laughs> it's like, get off your lazy fucking ass, you know, go out there. There are brilliant records being made all the time and yeah maybe they're not going to be shoved in your face you know but don't tell me that you wish you were born in the 60s or something man i'm starting to repeat some of the things i say in this upcoming podcast <laughs> with michael armstrong um real quick check out that album by sufjan stevens it's so great i also talk about it in the podcast but it's really just gorgeous piece of music um i don't want to talk too much about it but it's just like a really awesome modern singer-songwriter record and um, sonically one of the most beautiful, well-produced things I've heard. And it came out a while ago. It's not like a new record. It came out in 2015. Um, but man, it's an exciting time for singer-songwriters right now, you know? Last year, Father John Misty's I Love You Honey Bear came out and Courtney Barnett's Sometimes I Sit and Think and Sometimes I Just Sit came out and this Sufjan Stevens' Carrie and Lowell record came out, man. And there are three mind-blowing, like you know, trailblazing singer-songwriter records that are just, like, redefining the genre and what you can do with that sort of format and that medium. And, damn, it's just, like, I'm thrilled to be alive <laughs> and making music at this time, you know? And I'm I'm so happy to know all these cool people. And uh, the record's just great. And listen to it. Because um, it's an acoustic record, but it's not really recorded like an acoustic record. Um, and it's just so lush. And it seems really... Uh, simple when you first listen to it like there's only one or two things happening and then upon listening to it I'm like damn there are like nine things in this track right now you know there's just like all these subtle keyboard layers and a banjo will just flutter in and out and then all these like you'll just hear a choir that's like really subtly mixed you know and oh just lyrically like you know do yourself a favor and if you find yourself liking this record when you listen to it look into what it's about and what these songs mean and it's a just a really important album and it's really just very cathartic to listen to and I have this experience when I listen to records where it'll really catch my I love albums fucking albums are great it, it it makes me sad that it's harder to release albums these days because people you know listen to your first 10 seconds of your first single you know including myself but it's just I, ah, man I want to make albums so badly because I love albums and I've always loved albums um, and I love them, you know, I just, I, I, I remember why I love them when I fall in love with a new record and I've been falling in love with this Carrie and Lowell lately. And, um, you know, you listen to a record and it grabs your ear and then there are like two songs that really catch your heart or your, your ear or whatever. And for me, it was a song should have known better and the song 4th of July. And, uh, I really loved all the other songs, but, um, 
I, I just liked them and they they sounded good and, and they didn't like hit me yet, you know? And then I kept listening to it and I would listen to it in chunks, you know? Um, like all the way through, but chunks here and here. And then I would listen to single songs and uh, it just, you know, there's this digestion period where then the record will start to reveal itself to you and you'll start to notice all these things and you pick up on these themes, you know? And just people that put that attention into making their albums, it's amazing. And then I've started talking to people and they're telling me sort of what the record's about and things like that. And it's just beautiful. And then today... I've been listening to records and leaning on it a lot, you know, and and having to like walk out of a room and like put this record on, you know, <laughs> and um, like just obsessing like a child over it, you know. And today, I was like, I have to listen to that record in its entirety, uninterrupted today, you know. It's been playing in the background a lot, like while I go on a run or do the dishes or something, and I was like, the time is now, you know, I'm, I'm finally re- like, I'm ready to really experience this album. I know enough about it. I know the songs well enough, but there's still enough mystery. Like, and it's, and I'm also, you know, <laughs> in need of a catharsis. And, and so I, I, uh, I had an hour before my next rehearsal. So I sat in my car and I like put the seat back and, um, I just played the whole record <laughs> and it was unbelievable, you know? And I just, I love that format of an album. It's such a powerful, you know, you can do so much in 45 minutes with like, you know, 10 songs. It doesn't even have to be 10 songs, but I just mean, I I love that we've transcended the physical limitations of the album, you know, like we don't, we can make anything as long and as short as we want to, but we love this tradition of this album, you know, and it's not limiting. It's, it makes you creative and it's it's an incredible tool to tell a story and uh or just not even to tell a story like a cohesive there was there once was a guy and he did this (laughs) um but to tell lots of stories and to talk about moments and to express uh humanity you know check out this record it's fucking great um this week's happy sad talk thing episode is michael armstrong who is uh another pop kid songwriter really insightful awesome just Great guy, you know, and uh, I really just learned a lot from this conversation. <laughs> um, but he's a super talented musician, super talented songwriter guy. Um, yeah, so I, I hope you like this conversation. It went to a lot of places that uh, I didn't think it was going to go, and I was so thrilled, you know. Um, and I was also pretty tired, so I apologize in advance for all my stammering and like <laughs> poorly put together sentences. Kind of like right now. <sighs> Anyways, here we go. good my level is i could actually turn down a little bit my um, headphones which headphone are you? okay i'm that one is that good <laughs> yeah is that gucci yeah cool all right what's up man not much dude how are you i'm good i'm a little tired i haven't been sleeping much this week and i haven't I can, gone to the gym as much that. as i should have yeah so I, i've maxed out it at zero for the gym this week. Oh, so, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and and Man. last week. 
Yeah. And and the week I mean, before once that. Once you hit your so. max, <laughs> you can't go past your max. <laughs> yeah. You no. know. <laughs> yeah, it's tough. It's been it's been a tough time yeah. figuring that out. Well, whatever you like, whatever your little routine is, whenever you like stray from it, you start to go a little stir crazy. Yeah. I've found. Yeah. You know? I, I started. It was like a New Year's resolution. Slash, I started in December trying to work out, and Pat gave me this whole routine. Oh boy! And I like, bet he did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it actually like worked out. I, I did it until probably like spring break ish. Yeah. And then you know, once you don't do it one week, then it's you're real like, hard. well, the semester's tough. I'm almost the oh, end. Yeah. I'll just yeah. like wait to until oh, the end of the semester to do that again. Yeah, my so life is a series of is. like two week periods where like i'm <laughs> one period of two weeks where i'm eating great and exercising and stuff and then you know i'll let that extra day go by where i should have <laughs> do it and then i push it to tomorrow i was supposed to work out thursday and i push it to today and no i push it to friday and then i push it to today <laughs> and now i'm pushing it to tomorrow <laughs> and then so now i'm probably entering a two-week period where i don't and <laughs> i start to eat and then those are a little darker you yeah know? that's fair that's fair <laughs> just just a nice little tint of, of, yeah. of shade and it's funny because every single time i'm like this is the time i am now a changed person like every time i enter the healthy period yeah. you know, i'm like yeah. i've changed a lot yeah and it's really funny how i just very consistently on a two-week basis yeah. go back and forth yeah that's pretty much i can relate to that pretty intensely that's it's very similar except for me i think it's more like just semester long mm. like landslides of like i'm starting on the top of a mountain and i'm yeah. killing it and then i slip and then i slip a little more and then by the time like either winter break or spring <laughs> or summer break hits i'm just like okay i deserve like a month of nothing yeah and then next thing you know like then you're starting again and you're like oh crap <laughs> yeah it's crazy, man. Like, I, I, f- I find myself living like that a lot, where yeah. I'm just like, I just got to wait until the next thing, and then I'll <laughs> recharge, and yeah. then I'm like, man, my life is always going to have all these things happening, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. I've, like, lied to myself and told myself that I'm, like, once graduation hits, everything's mm. going to be, like, free, and there's going to be a bunch of time <laughs> 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 to, like, do all those things I didn't yeah. get to do while I was here. Yeah. And I still kind of believe that. Me too. But also, I have no idea if that's going to happen. Yeah. Like, I was thinking the other day, I don't really do many activities, <laughs> you know? I don't, I'm not, you know, I don't, yeah. like, whenever friends come up to hang out, they're like, what do you want to do? I'm like, you guys want to play guitar alone in my room? <laughs> oh, wait, no, that's just me. That's just a me thing. <laughs> Shit. Yeah. What oh, else? Man. Do we have rehearsal? No. What, no. We, <laughs> what should we do? <laughs> Netflix, I guess. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that's why, <laughs> you know, that's why my relationships oh, fail. My <laughs> <laughs> no, but, you know, I want to be a guy that's like, oh, man, I went rock climbing. And then I, you know. Yeah. I, I, had a, I had a moment, a pretty, like, existential crisis-y moment about that at the um existential crisis. <laughs> I have a lot of those. That might be, like, a theme for, for today. Yeah. But, um. Yeah. Uh, about when the Ferguson thing happened. Because I remember there was, like, all these USC students, like, they were on the freeway and, like, they were, like, changing the world. And I was in pop performance class on Tuesday night. And I was like, I can't miss this. Like, I can't leave. I'm literally, like, bound to the pop thing right now. Oh, yeah. You know, and it was like a... Well, all those cool, awesome, hippie things that I, like, tell myself I want to do, like, I'm literally not doing it right now. Like, yeah. it could be happening, but Man, I'm not. That's crazy. Yeah. Sorry, that's that got, insane. like, that's like a quick turn there. No, but. <laughs> this is all about, welcome to Quick Turn Cast. <laughs> 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 yeah, there's definitely no direction. But, I mean, like, um, that's a profound moment. You yeah, know? it was very strange. It was yeah. very strange. I felt like a, 
music nerd in like the realist sense of the term you know yeah like the music you know we always like think about and idealize these musicians who were like doing things like being on the freeway and here we are like studying their music <laughs> a couple f- miles from the freeway wow. you know what i mean like that, <laughs> that is a really fucking powerful observation yeah yeah that's one know. thing i feel like we don't talk about enough in the pop performance class i know that we can't because we're very focused on talking about like how these different syncopations line up yeah, and yeah. like how things are grooved but like we definitely don't talk about like race enough, like as far as yeah. it pertains to the artists that we're covering, you know, yeah. or like what's, you know, what social change was happening during like yeah, totally. different eras of bands and stuff like that. And yeah. Sean Holt has us like look up, you know, facts about the artists and stuff, you know, that he'll quiz us on as the band sound checking, mm-hmm. he'll quiz us about their set. And it's just like, now I don't always do the research, but like, it's so lame to see sometimes people like, Oh, tell me about Sly and the Family Stone. And someone's like, oh, um, yeah, I think they were number one on the charts. <laughs> like, yeah, they're from, I don't even know where they're from. But you know what I'm Oakland, saying? I think. Oakland, yeah. East you Bay, know, right? Funk just all thing. these, like, know. Yeah. you know, basic facts yeah. that are just like, or, or you see at like a, a showcase when someone's like introducing a song or something and <laughs> like, they're they like, hit their number one in October of yeah, and it's just 73. Like, you don't know shit about <laughs> that artist or what they yeah. meant to the times yeah. or something like that. That's and, real. And neither do I really, but I mean, it, it's important, I feel like, for us as artists to make an effort to understand that type of stuff. Or like, I was talking to Katie Gavin the other day and she was saying a similar thing. She's like, I'm so tired of people like singing like a song by Big Mama Thornton and saying like, we're going to put some sass in the set uh, now. Yeah, and yeah, it's like, yeah. whoa, that shit was so much more important. That than was just like, <laughs> let's get a sassy song. I mean, yeah, that's like a, a quintessential case of yeah. cultural appropriation right there. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, I had that, yeah. I had a, a really big realization about that concerning hip hop like mm. a year ago because yeah. I grew up, this, I'm not going to tell my life story. I'll do a quick version. I want to hear I it. grew up like, you Where? know, really into <laughs> San Diego, California, okay. uh, February 4th, 1995. Rockin'. Um, and um, in my first month, uh, no, um, <laughs> no, I grew up listening to a lot of like, you know, my dad was this huge Neil Young fan yeah. and, you know, I kind of grew up listening to almost exclusively 70s music and stuff like this. Yeah. And... No one at my high school or middle school or elementary school, whatever, liked the music that I liked. Um, Mm -hmm. And a lot of people were, like, really into hip-hop or really into, you know, pop or whatever. Mm -hmm. But something I didn't really realize until I got here was the way hip-hop was perceived, even in the people that liked it a lot, in my preppy, you know, like, literal college prep school, private school, was very racist, you know? Mm -hmm. And it was just very, like party oriented and not that there's anything wrong with that but it's it was just very like as i got into hip-hop about a year ago and i you know listened to tupac for the first time really and i listened to nas for the first time really and i was like these are literally like poets artists yeah and everyone is like totally all all the white people at my high school basically like totally ignored that side of it you know yeah and it was almost this very like racist um what's the word like white privilege bubble thing that i kind of got to observe firsthand in like, retrospect yeah like that perception of hip-hop like like listening to artists that are just like 
you know, pitches ain't shit. Yeah, exactly. And <laughs> exactly. And even like, you know, that's, knowing that's fun too. You know, yeah. That's good but, and too. also knowing where that came from and why yeah. that came, that actually came from like a, that's Dre. Yeah, know? exactly. And it came from a black tiger. pride place too, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I forget how we got here, but like, no, I feel you, man. <laughs> it's important. Like I, I grew up in a, in a similar, like I, I went to like a pretty, some pretty white schools, but then, like, when I went to high school, there was a – because it was, like, a a big sports school, and it was, like – I went to this Catholic school, and it was in the middle of the county. And so they, like, recruited people from all over. So went to – like, went to high school with, like, a lot of – not, like, a ton of black people, but, like, more black people than I went to, like, middle school with. Mm-hmm. And also, like, a lot of Samoan people mm-hmm. and also, like, a lot of Latin American people, a lot of Mexican people. Um, and it was interesting because we all wore, wore uniforms, you know? <laughs> Yeah. So on some, like you could still tell like who the wealthier kids were, you know, because yeah. they drove nicer cars and had nicer clothes. Yeah. But for there, there were, you know, it was a little bit harder to kind of distinguish between. Totally, so totally. It was it was cool on that on that end of things. Um, I think that there are, you know, there were some white kids that were into like I I, I uh, absorbed some hip hop through my friends. I've still yet to really like. I would I would you know I would hesitate to call myself like a hip-hop fan yeah you know there are there are a lot of hip-hop records that i really like you know um but i yeah it was interesting you know because i would i would i had a similar experience you know of of listening to not ironically but i don't know listening to it in in this one way you know yeah and uh you know even listening to you know (laughs) fuck the police you know yeah yeah and then we just watched this documentary in forum the other day about Mm -hmm. the la riots (laughs) you know yeah yeah. And where that song came from and how fucking important it was. And like that's <laughs> yeah. one thing that blows my mind about hip hop is just that as far as having its finger on the pulse of society and like having that music like be extremely relevant to people. Yeah. Uh like politically and socially and just like like that's incredible and something that a lot of the music that I enjoy doesn't necessarily speak to its audience in that way, you know? Yeah. Like totally. I, like you know, there are a lot of like obscure indie rock albums that are like <laughs> about know? feelings and not about, about politics exactly. or whatever. And yeah. that's fine. That's obviously that's, yeah. I'm not trying to shit on beautiful records that speak to yeah. your heart and your soul. Absolutely. That's amazing, too. And I think obviously pursuing peace and, and transcendence and higher beauty over violence is like amazing. And that's yeah. like I think that is really noble. But also I think it's really important that artists like, you know. Kendrick Lamar, or Rage Against the Machine, or you know, people, yeah, there, totally. there are bands that that do speak to a more like relevant side of things. Yeah, and, totally. I mean, I mean, I think that a lot of the bands that quote unquote white people or me who, when I was you know stuck in the seventies listening to that, yeah. they they served that purpose then as well. You know what I mean? Yeah, like John Lennon, <clears throat> John Lennon, even Neil Young, Buffalo Springfield, all of them. They like did yeah. that kind of thing. Um, and I actually funny thing like i when the kendrick lamar album came out i hit i I listened to that album like three times a day for about a month i was Mm. just obsessed i i couldn't stop listening to it remember that night we were walking and you were like you have to listen to the record (laughs) and i was like you listen to father john misty and all this yes and then i actually did listen to father john misty and i love that album that's fantastic cool um i'm glad you i don't know why i said thanks <laughs> I mean, thank you for taking my recommendation. No, dude, it was. I actually really, really like that album. That's um, fuck. That's one of my favorite albums. But the Kendrick Lamar album, 
it it put me into a writer's block for about four months. Yeah. And it was because I felt like I had nothing important to say at all. Yeah. I was like, if he's saying something like that, how the hell am I supposed to say anything? Hey, you know? girl, how are you doing <laughs> exactly. today? You know, and then I'm insecure, I guess, (laughs) again. (laughs) Again, yeah, that's perfect. Um, It's every song I just wrote. (laughs) Every song. That was was just the, you know, reduction of all my tunes. And, you know, like the next five songs that I wrote after I got out of that were, were some sort of talking about, you know, racial appropriation or something like that. Yeah. And, you know, after like the fifth song, I just said to myself, like, you have no right to say any of this. Like, go back to what you are feeling and, like, what you know, you know. Yeah. You know, Dude. it's not, like, your truth in, in a way, you know? Yeah. Well, you're hitting on one of the things that's really been fucking me up recently, which is, like, what has, you know, I don't know actually what your sexuality is. I'm not going to. So, oh, are you heterosexual? I'm heterosexual. I'm only using it to put you in the okay. largest group possible as far <laughs> as, like, white, men, white yeah. straight, you know, yeah. males. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it's just, like. Yeah what the fuck is our opinion? You know, what the oh, hell yeah. does our opinion matter about anything? Yeah. 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 You know, and it's, I feel very insecure sometimes like in, in conversations about race or even sexuality or, or anything, you know, just being this, you know, the part of the demographic that's in the privilege in almost every single category. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, just yeah. like, we you know what the hell am I supposed <laughs> to say? And we were watching yeah. this documentary the other day about the LA riots and like, it was fucked, you know, but it was fucked in a lot of ways. It wasn't just like, man, white people are evil and, and black people, they were the heroes. You yeah. know, it yeah. wasn't obviously that simple. It was nuanced. There were real people. And yeah. And um, because, you know, there was all that oppression and then obviously like the Rodney King like verdict happened and then the riots started. But then like they were, sh- they were sh- like showing like, you know, black people just that were just fi- they were just finding white people and just like you know, assaulting them just for being white, you know? Yeah. And it was just like, well, that's not cool either, (laughs) you know? Yeah. yeah. And obviously like the people in the documentary, they were saying like, we didn't have a choice. Like, you know, like, you know, like that's how we needed to get hurt, you know? Totally. And obviously as like a white person, it's, 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 it just sounds so naive and dumb to just be like, no, (laughs) don't stop people. Yeah. When people like Ice Cube and Arsenio Hall are being like, no, we needed to take action yeah. and we yeah. did and we're proud of it or something. Totally, you totally. Know? Yeah. Um, but, and I, I just, I just, I risk sounding like a hippie or something, but, you know, like Martin Luther King was not pro violence, <laughs> you know, and he changed yeah. a lot of things. Yeah. And, and you wonder, I guess I'm just rambling. No, and, and I, just, I understand. Just feeling exactly, like, yeah. What is our role in the conversation about like race and things like that? As as because I don't think that it's just shut up and let other people tell us what the opinions are, yeah. and then we'll go with the least offensive things because <laughs> we're sorry. <laughs> you know? Yeah, that's not that's not a great I don't strategy. Think that yeah, I don't like to me that just like bums me out, and I don't really like if we if you try to think about what the end result is, which is like obviously like equality. You know? Yeah, yeah. That ps- removing anyone's voice is like a bummer, you know? Yeah, and I'm not totally. trying to say like, oh, reverse racism and like, yeah. oh man, like who cares what I think? But it's just, I, I don't know. I think everyone's perspective matters. And like in order to move forward, I think it probably involves conversation from everyone. You yeah, know? totally. 
I mean, I, I actually had a great conversation about this with my mom because my whole family, when um, uh, Straight Outta Compton came out, my whole family went and saw it. Mm-hmm. Um, and my parents, but especially my, my mother, shout out to mom, yeah. um, you know, has never really listened to hip hop and doesn't really like hip hop at all. Um, and she, she gained a, a huge perspective, a new good perspective from that movie. It was because, interesting how that know, film did that. Yeah. It did the same thing with my parents. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. put on hip-hop. But. but what she, you know, her qualm was basically what we're talking about now. And it was like, you know, back in the 60s, because my mom and my dad were both total hippies in the, in the 60s and 70s and whatever. Um, back then, you know, it was all about what you're saying and equality and all this stuff. Like, why, why were they being so aggressive? Blah, blah, blah. And it turned into a conversation about, you know, Malcolm versus Martin, essentially. And that, yeah. that's kind of the conversation that's going on now and has been going on since 65 mm. or whatever. Yeah. Um, and I think it's interesting. I actually recently read uh, Malcolm X's autobiography. Yeah. And it, it, it definitely shed a lot of light on that perspective. And it definitely... Yeah. I definitely agree with a lot of it, to be entirely honest. It, a lot of it is... That so, social revolution requires action? It's, like, well, it's much more oriented towards, you know, the black versus white. I mean, he thinks white people are like the incarnation of, of the devil, the reincarnation right. of the devil. And that it's like, you know, they're... Just the way that he described um, white privilege yeah. in its blindness... I think is was so ahead of its time, and it's the conversation people are having now about it. Yeah, um, and that's where you know the whole Black Pride thing, Black Panthers thing, kind of stemmed from from all you know he was in yeah. that movement and all that kind of stuff. And I, I personally, you know, in a, in a lot of ways, agree with that, and and think that you know, in order to have an equal voice, they need to be heard louder for a while. You know, totally to to like make that yeah. balance out and. While those like riots were very violent and you know reverse racist or whatever you want to call it and you know violent in that way, it was also well, like I, a great yeah you know. Well, I just think it was really nuanced. You know, I just yeah. I, yeah, I, yeah my yeah. my whole point. I'm not saying it was reverse racist. I'm just saying like uh, I just don't think that like people hurting people or or placing people into groups on either side of the spectrum is helpful. Yeah, you know? yeah, totally, totally. And people saying it's like us versus them, regardless of who the us is, it's just like, oh, once you've, once you've created a separation, I think that's like, to me, where the, totally. the I, disappointment I, I got, is. I got you know? that. And that, to me, like, that's always something that I've, like, been very afraid of in a lot of ways. Yeah. It, you know, because it's like, on one hand, you know, especially as a musician, you know, this is like very important in music yeah. because you know white music versus black music has been a thing for a very long time and yeah. <laughs> it becomes a very interesting thing about like how do we respect the culture that comes from that you know because yeah. it is its own culture and it is its own entity yeah how do we treat that with respect but also try to participate in a lot of ways if that makes sense you know yeah it, it's i don't know it's interesting I don't have like an opinion or a thought, <laughs> like observation. <laughs> yeah, yeah, me neither, man. <laughs> cool. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's just I don't know. It's interesting, and yeah. just even having this conversation right now, my default feeling is like, "Fool, I hope none of that was racist." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. 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 But I, I think <laughs> rather than rather than going around and and living in the fear of being racist and not saying anything, yeah, it's better to talk these ideas out. 
and you know just go from there you know and just try to figure it out rather than like just cross our fingers and just like because i think a lot of people um like morally disagree with racism but don't recognize that somehow that culturally they're unconsciously racist in some ways yeah you know totally and I, I just like growing up in a semi-liberal area where it's like very uncool to be racist. <laughs> there are a lot of people that are like, "Oh, I'm not racist. Oh, I'm not racist." But if I were, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, and yeah, it's yeah. just like, what? Well, you know, that like, doesn't make sense. Exactly. Yeah, people that yeah. are so afraid of being perceived as racist. Yeah. You know, and that I don't know. To me, it, it it's much like if we want to move forward, we probably got to like. Be like, okay, obviously, like, I don't want to be racist, given the choice between being racist and not being racist. I'm not going <laughs> to be racist. Yeah. But culturally and, and socially, I may be conditioned, you know, yeah, in some totally, subconscious totally. way. And I think that we need to, like, the only way to, like, uncondition yourself is by talking about it. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. that we can move forward as opposed to everyone just, like, silently we're not racist anymore. We did it. Hooray. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, it's like, clearly we didn't, you know? Yeah. There are still problems and they're not solved at all. So yeah, I totally, I think there's a great, you know, um, parallel to this. Obviously there is, um, to sexism and things that happen mm. in that arena. Um, yeah. and that's actually something I've been thinking about a lot in terms of the culturally conditioned thing. Um, yeah. because I think, you know, I, I've had a lot of conversations about this with Anna recently um, mm-hmm. because she's really into the feminist movement and stuff and she has a lot of information that I never didn't really know about and it really like helped me observe things that I wouldn't have observed before yeah. even about myself and about you know like mm-hmm. like I'm watching Scrubs right now and oh. I've, I've seen it before like the whole thing but this Scrubs is what I do I just like watch it again yeah. like a couple of years later but I'm it's <laughs> so good. is that him singing that no it's a different band okay because um, it forget. sounds like him it does sound like it him. sounds like him yeah. okay okay no I was super into that I had that song on my iPod for a while um <laughs> And it's crazy with theme songs. You're like, there's a second verse to this song? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I was yeah. listening to Apple Music the other day, which I've been getting into recently. Uh-huh. I haven't listened to Spotify. I haven't used Apple, it's kind of cool. Really? It's kind of <laughs> cool. And I don't want to, like, I'm definitely the type of hipster that I'll be like, Apple sucks. <laughs> so they, But they make it, th- I don't know, it's kind of cool. They uh, don't, like, wow. <laughs> I'm amazed that I just took that turn. We are talking about something very important. <laughs> Anyways. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I'm just gonna abandon that. Thread. Um, you were watching Scrubs. Scrubs. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Race, racism. Pause. Okay, so I'm listening to <laughs> some sweet Spotify. Tunes <laughs> Great. Okay. Um, yeah. No, I was watching Scrubs. I, I've been watching Scrubs like for like a week or two now. Yeah, maybe more than that. Um, and I'm just Such realizing a good show. it's a great show. God damn it! But I love that show. But it's also really sexist. It's like really very sexist. Oh, I'm so interested. Yeah. In <laughs> well, yeah. It's it's hard because it's like a bunch of little moments, you know. But it's just the way that men and women interact in that show. Yeah. Is totally inappropriate, and it it's something I was talking about with Anna. I think like last night. Man. Um. Of like. This is stuff I never think about. <laughs> I, I just realized like, when like, I'm wa- like like cultural criticism of. Yeah, art, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I just realized like. This is part of the reason that I am inherently sexist. Like, yeah. I watched this when I was in middle school or whenever it That's was on. That's what I'm on, talking about is, you know? as far as, like, inherent prejudices. Yeah, exactly. Like from television and exactly. movies and stuff like and that. And, like, there are know? problems, you know, there, there are problems that everyone has in relationships that I'm having, that I've had in relationships yeah. with Anna. 
And it's like it, a lot of it I can tell upon like self-observation yeah. stems from this like cultural sexism that I'm now like reobserving in Scrubs. That's and so it's a really weird dynamic to like watch yeah. unfold, you know? But yeah, it's just the way that like men and women interact in that show. It's very um I wouldn't go as far as to like the Take cliche the of like treated as objects kind of thing, but yeah. it's very much like they are women fit stereotypes very yeah. simply in that show. And Sarah Chalk is semi-naked in a lot yeah. of portions of it. <laughs> well, and, and just the way Which that... Which was cool when I was 12, and I was <laughs> like, <gasps> Whoa, Elliot! <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. And it all happens in the fantasies, right? And then it's like... Yeah. yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Um, the fantasy of the show, not our own personal... No, yeah, of course you, not. You know, yes, no. yes, of course. We're Christians. Um, <laughs> but... Um, the, even like the way that JD and Turk like pursue their relationships with women and all that stuff yeah. comes from like a very male sexist place, at least culturally and peripherally, not yeah. necessarily like directly. I'm with you. I just, I'm a little curious as to, can you just expand upon that a little bit? Yeah. I'm, I, it would be best if I had an example. Right. And you know, as I watch Netflix, my brain's usually like as <laughs> off as possible. Yeah. Um, God. I don't know. I, I should have prepared notes for this. I think like... <laughs> this, this conversation got very formal. I didn't mean to put you on the spot. <laughs> no, Defend no. your scrub thesis. <laughs> no, it's, Begin. Just, it's just the way that, you know... Uh, okay, so some of, the, some of the like easy ones are things like, you know, JD gets referred to as a girl every four times of episode by Dr. Yes. Cox, right? Yeah. There's always... Nancy. Yes, yeah. there's like 19 references to growing growing a pear or like losing a vagina in the show. Right. Like those the are like equivocation the... equivocation of maleness with proficiency. Yes, yes. And femaleness with... Yeah. Or femininity with you're bad at your job. And in some, in some ways, like there's an episode where it's, it's all about Elliot trying to look good as a doctor and being shamed for oh, that. Yeah. That's actually like a great counterexample because it's showing the sexism that's in the world, you know? Yeah. Well, there was one episode I remember like where she like no one paid attention to her and then she went and got like a sweet haircut. Yeah. <laughs> and then like exactly. Exactly. To her. And there, there's a great, you know, like there's the Todd in that show and he's the sexist oh, yeah. pig, right? There's a moment. But he's also like he's bisexual, which yeah, is yeah, great. Yeah. I, I lose the season goes on and he starts hitting on dudes <laughs> in the same way. Yeah. I thought that it's was hilarious. pretty great. Yeah. But there, there's like an end of an episode once where it's like this sexual assault episode or something where it's like being safe in the workplace or whatever. And Bob Kelso, yeah. the chief of staff, like catches Todd, like smacking girl's ass. And he goes, we look, we don't touch. And like, yeah. that's better, but it's also still like very sexist implicitly. Yeah. You know what I mean? Interesting. I feel um, you. And I think just like as a male observing these and just how like women are like emotionally scarred from being culturally told how to be in that way i think yeah. men are just as culturally scarred by telling how to act towards women in that way if yeah that makes sense you i know had what an I mean? interesting experience with that the other day Go. like um well because anytime that there are those type of jokes that guys make like you want to laugh along and be one of the dudes <laughs> you know yeah yeah like i there's this girl i was talking to this girl she's my friend i was gonna give her a ride home she went to like wait outside and then this like older guy like came up to me and uh, he was like my uh, friend, the guy, and uh, he was just like, "Don't let that one get away." <laughs> <Am I right? laughs> and I was just like, "Yeah," <laughs> but in the moment, because it all happens, I was like, <laughs> "You know, I'm on it." Like, or yeah, 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 whatever, totally, you totally. know. And it's just like, 
there i mean that wasn't even like super sexual or anything but those type of yeah, things like no, exactly. happen all the time like when a girl leaves a room and guys are like whoa look at those, those are some sweet tits or yeah something, you yeah know? totally totally and it's like sometimes it's like I'm not saying it's wrong to be attracted to people exactly and, share that. and that, that's the line i think that's the thing that's the line that at least I personally cannot find it all. It's like, yeah. where does it become like, it's I'm attracted to, to you. Exactly. And but like, I mean, that type of like locker room it. mentality of just yeah, like totally, when totally. everyone's like getting into, into that objectification and there's like a little bit of laughing going on and yeah. you like want to be part of You're the part jokes. of the group. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I totally like, yeah, I'm, I'm fucker. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's crazy, yeah. man. <coughs> yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> Agreed. This is a great show. Yes, I love it that is. Show. It's a fantastic it's also show. It's so sad. <laughs> there are just episodes that just end sad as fuck. Did <laughs> yeah. you see the one where like Dr. Cox like wants to... Um... He has the, the bros all come over and then there's no one there. Is that the oh, one you're talking that's about? that's one of them. <laughs> and there are just so many episodes that end with just him drinking alone in his apartment <laughs> and then it's just like, you know... <laughs> Yeah, ah, or just, there's just one. Yeah, there's one where he, in the beginning of the episode, he tells JD like, because JD blames himself, I think, for a patient's death. Yes. And Doctor Cox is like, "That's a slippery slope, man. Don't go down there." Yeah. And then there's this one patient that they see around all the time, and she's like a hypochondriac, and they like run into her at the store, mm-hmm. and she, they always try to avoid her because she's super annoying. And then she comes in, and Doctor Cox throughout the entire episode is saving people. Yeah. And I think he's trying to go a whole day without anybody any of his patients dying gotcha and then like this girl comes in and i think that they they were they i, f- I forget she ends up like dying mm-hmm. and they like felt bad because they never like paid attention to her you know yeah um but i don't think she died because of their negligence but he then uses her organs to like save all these other patients that he has yeah. you know mm-hmm. and then it turns out that she had rabies and they like didn't test you know for it because they Jesus. were just they needed him right away yeah all the organs so all of his patients die and then at the end of the episode, he's, like, blaming himself for it, you know? And JD's like, don't go down. It's a slippery slope. Like, yeah. you said that to me at the beginning of the episode. Yeah. And he's just like, I know. And then he, like, throws his gloves down and, like, walks out. And then he goes <sighs> into, like, a deep depression for, like, a lot of episodes. <laughs> and it's just like, oh, my God. Jesus. Yeah. It is <sighs> a great show. And I think it does have, like, yeah. a lot of great. Do you want this water, by the way? I'll get I it for you. I love that water. Thank yeah. you. No worries, man. God, I've been, like, dying all day. Yeah. Um, me too. My literally. Voice. Yeah. Um, like, just. It's something there's dryness in the air or something yeah. or dust like my voice has been so weak lately i'm also just why. getting over like a cold and so it's just not a good combination yeah i must be as well or something but you know but yeah i always have the worst like progression with colds because i'll wake up with a sore throat one day and that's just a death sentence for like the next five days. Yeah. Like that. I don't know if that happens to everyone. I've just noticed that that happens to me. I'll just like wake up. And even if it's just a little sore throat, I'm like, you, yeah, you know, it's coming. All right. Two weeks from now, I still can't sing. Cool. Great. Yeah. <laughs> it's been happening to me a lot recently. Like this last weekend. I don't know. I haven't been getting a lot of sleep mm-hmm. um, for a lot of reasons. But main point, not sleeping a lot. <laughs> um, and then I also like drank a little last weekend. And I also like did one of these podcasts. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was doing it with this girl Sarah, and we were just laughing. And I, I have a very like vocally disruptive laugh. It's like, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's yeah. not good on my throat. It's like, oh, yeah, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, good one. And my <laughs> not voice, not a good laugh. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, not vocally good for <laughs> yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I also, the, also the way that I speak, I kind of speak de- like in this California area. Like, yeah. where it's like, hey man, what's up? Like, this is horrible <laughs> for your voice. Yeah. Like, if I wanted to protect my voice, I should probably speak up here, you know? But I don't <laughs> That's speak like way this. too much work I'm and commitment. Like, ah! I'm either like, ah! <laughs> up there, like, ah! <laughs> you know? Yeah. 
and I exist between those two polarities. And like, so it was a lot of talking, and then like I was had a lot of rehearsals with the Nova Darlings, and mm-hmm. like a lot of those songs are like up in that kind of tough G-A-B range, A B range, yeah. And like I can't really hit those notes unless <laughs> I'm shouting, yeah, yeah. And like it's I also have a really hard time not playing full out, you know, because yeah. it's so emotionally rewarding, yeah. Totally. To like play the songs at 100% energy, especially if it's like high energy rock music. Yeah. And if you like, and it's just like, I need, especially because we rehearse a couple times a week. And if I'm doing the full out yeah. shouting thing, I'm just, I wreck my voice. Yeah. You know? Totally. Um, and I just, I wish I could get to a place where I um, was mature enough to like know that once I added the energy, it would feel better. Because like when you run through a song at like 75% energy or like 60% energy, and everything is grooving and it sounds good, but you're not really like yeah. adding that extra live thing. You're just like, what happened, guys? Yeah. You're Why like, didn't that feel yeah, great? You're like, that yeah. felt like shit. Yeah. But then, I don't know. I just. I totally. Because yeah. you want to, especially like we've been gearing up for the show and we like, you know, we, we have a little bit of a new lineup. And so we're yeah. like a little bit nervous. So I've been like trying extra hard to yeah. make sure all the songs feel as good as possible. So we know where we stand. Yeah. Yeah. And so my voice has just been thrashed as fuck. <laughs> and there's like dust yeah. in the air. Yeah. I feel Anyways, that. There's are, a great. I think we've talked about this a hmm. long time ago before. Yeah. But there's a great live video of Jack White oh. singing Jolene. The cover, the Dolly Parton cover. Is it the black and white one? Yeah, I think it's the black and white one yeah. where his voice is just like done. done. Like it's the last show of the tour or something. Yeah. And he's just like, Jolene. Yeah. But it's fantastic. Yeah. I think I know that video. It's from the Under the Great White Northern Lights tour. Yes. And it was the last show. It was in Nova Scotia. Okay. There and you go. A, you know much more than well, I do. Well, I had the box set. I have the box set. <laughs> okay. And so okay. there's and there's a videotape of that whole last show. Mm-hmm. And it's amazing. It's <laughs> unbelievable. But yeah, I love that cover for so many reasons. One, mm-hmm. because he doesn't change the gender. Yep. Mm-hmm. And it's so much more emotionally impactful. Like if he had made it like, please don't steal my girl. Like yeah. It'd be like, oh, shut the fuck up. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. But it's it's so real, you know? And there's, yeah. no, there's no irony at all to it, you no. know? Yeah. It's just so raw and amazing. Yeah. And like, yeah. so great. There's He's also... pretty... A, ins- God. Like yeah, he's, go on about he's him. the dude. Well, I actually would love to talk about that dude because I have some down. <laughs> I, you know, let's do it, man. Okay. Well, there's also just real quick on that Nova Scotia show. Um, there's just I think he does my doorbell, but he's playing bass, and like <laughs> it's fucking so sick. It's just really dope, dude. When they went I miss on the tour, White also yeah, a lot. yeah. When <laughs> when they went on tour, not that I was there, but I've seen like a lot of videos. Yeah, the way that show is just set up is incredible. You know, like he has the mics everywhere so that yeah. it can totally be the Jack White show. And yeah. he's just like, it's like, you know, I feel like in a lot of ways that band was just his like sound thesis, you know, like he was like, mm. the best way to do this is to give me like all of the opportunity to just go wild and yeah. to be as like raw and bare as possible. Yeah. And I think like from that, that's where all of the art came from, if that makes sense. Like the, the albums mm-hmm. are like pretty live and the albums, you know, like have that rawness. But then the tour is literally just like, okay, Meg, you play something yeah. and then I'm just going to like go the fuck ham and like do all of these different things. And it's yeah. him and his element and it really, really, really works, you know? Yeah. And I think that's something really rare about the White Stripes versus any other band that he's been a part of. In a lot of ways, it's been more polished and it's been like, you know, like professional musicians and all this kind of stuff backing him. And while it's still raw, it's not like 
him in that version of his element, if that makes yeah. sense. I agree with you in a lot of ways, and I disagree with you in a couple <laughs> Please, of ways. Please, I want to hear the disagreements. Well, this is like, man, this is something I think about so much, just because <laughs> like, when I, from age like 12 to like age, I would say 18, he was my guy. <laughs> he was my fucking guy. I mean, Good. I have every single White Stripes B-side live recording from interviews. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, they would like... They did this version of Fell in Love with a Girl in this Japanese interview, and they did it in halftime, and, like, <laughs> it's just an acoustic guitar and, like, kick drum and a snare drum, and it was, like, blew my mind. You know, I, yeah. I, I, wish it would, I wouldn't sleep in middle school. I would stay up <laughs> on my shitty MacBook yeah. laptop, and I would watch Jack White interviews, and that was my entire life. And if you listen to any song I wrote from that period <laughs> of my life, it is, I'll play some sometimes. Please do. Like, the recordings yeah. of me, just like, wow, that kid is just tr- desperately trying to be Jack White. <laughs> Um, and I love, I love the White Stripes. I love the Raconteurs. I love the Dead Weather. Um, but the White Stripes is my favorite and the White Stripes is the best. And that's, for a lot of reasons, I think that that's true. And, um, one thing that you said is, is that the records are pretty live and I, I disagree. I think the records are pretty much, are pretty studio. Really? Um, Okay. The first record's really live. Yeah. Um, you know, with like Jimmy the Exploder and Screwdriver and all that shit. Yeah. But when you're getting into, uh, you know, Icky Thump in that era, like, well, yeah, there's, those, yeah, like, yeah, guitars yeah. are so layered and like, I'm, yeah, there's true. probably some that's bass fair. sounds on there and there's a lot of overdubs. There are bass you know? sounds, yeah, that's fair. And I just know because we weren't there, you know, and my yeah. my uncle said that he saw him at the Greek mm-hmm. and uh, he was doing the song Hardest Button to Button. Yeah. And there's a boom, but then there's guitars layered on top of that. Yeah. And he said that Jack White was like trying to switch between the parts. Yeah. And it was like a bummer, you know? Really interesting. But he's also a very opinionated person, <laughs> and I disagree with him on many things. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, his, yeah. he was a White Stripes fan, and he was disappointed after the White Stripes concert. Because gotcha. he, he thought that it felt very empty. I wasn't there. I watch a lot of White Stripes videos, and I think they're fucking great. Yeah. <laughs> you know yeah, what I'm saying? Yeah, I yeah. wasn't at the show, but I see the video, and yeah, I hear the audio, yeah, yeah. and I'm blown away because I'm a big <laughs> Jack White fan. Yeah, totally. But one th- I read this really interesting article um, I think it was some guy wrote a great article saying that like, well, there's just so many, I just have so many opinions about Jack White. It's weird for me to like talk, not even talk shit on him, but just sort of like criticize him in certain ways because he was like, I have so many of his posters on my wall, you know? Yeah. Um, But definitely coming to music school, I just found that there's like a lot of people that don't like Jack White. Yeah, totally. And there's a lot of people that shit on Jack White. Yeah. And so I had this weird experience last year where i was like is it like really uncool to like jack white and like have all this like have this third man records mug that i drink out of every morning like oh you know yeah i think i yeah. saw um uh god who's uh, who's michael gordon is that the bass player yeah. for dale uh no no michael, michael Grimm. michael Grimm. yeah yeah who's like i saw i'm just rump and they blew my mind and they yeah. were like the most punk fucking cool yeah. dudes ever and they there was some like poll that they had on one of their facebook events where it was like, what makes you... I forget what the question was, but one of the answers basically was just like shitting on people that thought Third Man Records was cool. And I was just <laughs> oh, like, oh, man. man. <laughs> like, that's totally me. I think Third Man Records is great. And I mean, I, I drove once to Coachella 
Not because I had a ticket to Coachella, but because Third Man Records was doing a pop-up shop at a hotel 25 <laughs> miles out from Coachella, and they were selling some exclusive <laughs> merch there, and I drove by myself <laughs> out there to buy a t-shirt. That's fantastic. <laughs> you know? Oh, my I spent God. hours on the road, like, probably, you know, whatever, the four hours driving there and four hours driving back, and, like... That's amazing. Yeah, well, I'm just, like, I'm a really big <laughs> fucking Jack White fan, man. Oh, my And I'm God. not at all trying to be like, yeah, I know what I'm talking about, but I just mean, so, I mean, that's the kind of impact that he's had on my life and just i listened to those records so many times and i love them so much yeah and then i so but then i went through a period where i was like no i fucking love jack white and i will defend the shit out of him yeah you know and i went to saw i went to saw him i went to see him on i saw him on both of his solo tours cool. i saw him on blunderbuss and i saw him on lazaretto yeah um and the shows were fucking unbelievable. Yeah, because I heard. He, I heard. Yeah, because yeah. he could play anything from his catalog, and he had all these capable musicians. Around totally. Him. And so the totally. first tour, you know, he had the girls that he toured with and the guys at the same time. And yeah. He would announce the show. So me and my friend saw him on two different nights at the Wiltern, and, and saw we both. saw completely oh, different that's shows. So cool. Unreal. That's Unreal. so cool. I saw the girls, wow. and so there was like a little. It was a little more folky, bluegrassy, and yeah. like. I went with my uncle who's like sometimes doesn't think that things are cool that I think are cool. <laughs> so he was kind of like giving me all his, he, you know, he's like been into rock music for yeah longer than I have. Yeah. So he was like having all these thoughts and I'm just like, you know, ultimate fanboy. And I'm just like, no, I don't want to hear any of that. I just want to love this. <laughs> yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. And totally. I, it's, I'm getting so many tangents. But basically there was a point last year where I was just like, I like liking things, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And like we could sit here and be cynics all day and it's so cool to fold your arms and say you're better than whatever. But yeah. like... I enjoy liking records, and yeah. I will continue to like records yeah. forever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm very opinionated, but I don't know. There's definitely, like, when you think that something is shitty, there's also, like, a validation of, I'm cooler than that or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? Well, I think that there's a lot of, like, I personally always relate to the people that are conventionally... James Prince is going to hate me when, when saying this because we have this <laughs> argument all the time. But I really am, like, very drawn to people who are conventionally bad quote unquote at like whatever instrument they play or whatever. Yeah. Like I, you know, was into Neil Young for forever and Jack White and, Jack Neil, White and you know, and that's why I like Kanye in a lot of ways because yeah. he's just like, fuck you basically. Right. I'm sorry for not letting you talk so much. No, I just want to get totally to my Jack White points real quick. <laughs> <laughs> um, just be, so I saw him, you know, on both of those tours and, and music wise, it was incredible. Yeah. You know, and his voice was amazing. And like all the songs sounded full cause he had, you know, all the arrangements going on. But those solo records are missing something, and I they bum me out a little bit. Hmm. They're really good records, yeah. But I listen to them and I'm like, these are good. <laughs> and then I listen to a White Stripes record and I'm like, oh, these are better. <laughs> these are so much better. Yeah, you know. Yeah. And I don't know if it's like now because he's maybe a little more comfortable or like kind of has like a very, you know, th- having Third Man Records. I imagine there would be a lot of people that are like. Whatever you say, Jack White, you know? Yeah. Not, I don't know. I, he's clearly someone who's into being creative and into making good art and into keeping himself in interesting situations where yeah. he'll be forced to be creative. Yeah. And that was the most interesting part about the White Stripes to me is that he was, like, putting so many limitations upon himself. Yeah. And the output was this, like, amazing, beautiful, yeah. raw thing that had this childlike heart to it yeah, you know totally and to me that's what's missing from the solo records like there are good songs and there are so many moments where i'm like fuck yeah, yeah you know but i mean those records came out years ago and i i don't spin them on a regular basis but yeah. I, I will go back to those white mm. stripes records a i lot, mean i i agree know? with you both the fact that they're not 
as good as the White Stripes records and the reason why. I think that's exactly the reason I, why. I, I, well, it was this article that I read was this guy was arguing that it's the absence of Meg White, you know, and people always underestimate mm. like Meg White's role in the White Stripes. Yeah. Saying that she, you know, just played what he told him to play and was a vehicle for his what, what he wanted to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Obviously, you know. Thank you, Jack White, for making the white stripes happen. I'm not saying like yeah, Meg yeah, White yeah. was the secret creative genius, <laughs> yeah. and she just told Jack White what to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I was reading an article about I was well, articles, articles, two different articles. I want to quote one or some interview. Some guy was saying like, I heard a lot of the stuff that Jack White was doing before the White Stripes, mm-hmm. and it wasn't as cool, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. something about her childishness, something about yeah. her. She just has so much heart, you know. Yeah. And this, their dynamic, there was something playful about it and something pure in her that, like... Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. And I think in subsequent years... So I, I think in her absence, I don't know, there just started to be a lot of bad Jack White press, you know? Yeah. There was that thing where he went to the baseball game and he had the grumpy face. Yeah, yeah. And the thing with the guacamole or whatever. Just yeah. a lot of shit where it's just, like... And just sometimes... And then there was a couple of pull quotes from him where he was sounding kind of grumpy and, like, yeah. kids these days yeah. E, you yeah, know? Totally. And it was just, like... And there's a song called Entitled on the new Re- on mm-hmm. Lazaretto yeah. that I'm just like, that song bums me out. <laughs> I'm just like, yeah. man, like, okay, I get it. Vinyl's cool. Like, <laughs> hooray. <laughs> like, it's definitely I'm... like the one for sure clunker on that album. It, yeah. It's definitely just like the, oh, well, okay. To me, it's just like so pessimistic and mm-hmm. just like kids these days, you know, get yeah. off my lawn. And yeah. um, that bums me out. I like I love vinyl, and I got into vinyl because of Jack White. It was like a missionary of vinyl, and yeah. he got me into that romantic experience of having something physical in your hands. And I remember, like, you know, going around to record stores in Orange County when Elephant was reissued, yeah. and I had to go to different <laughs> record stores. It took a whole day, and I like would go in and they say, "We just sold our last copy, man." I was like, "No," and then I had to go to this one place, and this guy yeah, had all these yeah. copies. He was this cool guy, and he was in an old Airstream, and he said, "Like, I got like six copies left, man," and it was like amazing, you know, rather yeah. than me clicking buy on <laughs> Apple Store. Yeah. Um, um, but I just, I don't know. I think he sometimes like can be a, like a curmudgeon or, or a bigot or sometimes. And, um, I just miss the playfulness and the, and the childishness of the white stripes. And this, totally. that's what this one article was saying. He was yeah. just saying like, uh, that Meg White's effect on Jack White totally. like, huh. is very palpable in the white stripes, yeah. you know? And uh, well, he's that totally, vibe is missing from his yeah, solo stuff. I think he's totally... I mean, he's talked about this a lot, and you'll probably know more about this than I will. But he's talked a lot about how his writing always stems from a sort of like prompt in a lot of ways. You know, it's either like mm. there's a deadline or it's Meg White, you know, yeah. or this and that. And there's I think... Some, I that, mean, the song Lazaretto, like he's like, I have to always put these constraints upon myself. Exactly. You know, He's always about yeah. that. And it's like a very great way to create is to like put yourself in a box and figure out what to do in that box and i think that there's just like those soul records are the epitome of him not having as much of a box to play with because even even the white stripes because like meg white was the box or like having the duo with no bass was the box and i'm a huge fan of the dead weather i I think they're fantastic and they have their own box you know they have exactly he plays drums on most of it that's like a different thing there's no bass in that band there's another singer you know like there's all these other boxes in the dead weather no, they have two guitar players, don't they? Nope. Am Jack, I, am Jack I going Lawrence, crazy? They got, yeah, they both play Gretsch's, though, and so they look like guitars from oh, afar. But no, Jack, I swear there are, some, there are at least like a couple songs that don't have bass on those records. I, am I going crazy? I, I would be interested to see. I'm pretty sure they don't. We can listen after this. Let's, I'm let's listen. Down. But okay. I, I saw it, them yeah. live, okay. and I've seen, I was like crazy into them. And yeah. Like, uh, 
Well, just the, the guy that plays bass for the Rock on Tours. Yeah, yeah, His yeah, name yeah. is Jack Lawrence. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, they call him LJ. Yeah. Damn it. A little, yeah, little Jack. There we go. And uh, we're, we're swinging our big Jack White dicks around. <laughs> yeah. Who's a bigger Jack White fan? Um, <laughs> no, you totally are. I'm Trust not, me. Don't matter. even worry. No, that joke was saying that, like, who am I trying to... Yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. just saying, like, that... Uh, yeah, there's there. I think there's bass on those records, okay, but it's like enough. really fuzzed out, kind of Queens of the Stone Age sounding bass yeah, that totally, will sound totally. like a low guitar. But the point I is even, that I'm like pretty those... sure that there's some bass on some White Stripes records too. There are, there like, totally are, and it, yeah. yeah, yeah, there totally are. Um, but I think that the, his solo re- out record solo project is like the lack yeah. of that is the lack of the yeah. constraints. Well, that I remember makes it even less in an interview of him talking about Lazaretto, he was saying like, "Oh, these are some lyrics of mine." But like I wrote all the music first, and then I had to put some lyrics to it. So I found some old notebooks of mine, and I was like co-writing with a past version of myself. Yeah, which yeah, sounds yeah, really I remember sick. That. Yeah. But also, like I remember listening to the record, and sounds like I'm like, yeah, this sounds like these lyrics were afterthoughts, <laughs> and like you did it all afterwards. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah, and, totally. Um, and and just to me, that like obviously, if the 13 or four, or f- not even 13, like, if you're like the 17 year old version of myself heard me saying this right now, he'd be like. You're, you're breaking my heart, man. You know, like you, <laughs> yeah. you like I thought yeah. you were a loyal Jack White fan. Yeah, and I am. I'm a huge Jack White fan. You totally. Know? Well, I think it just comes it's just to the like point. Bums me out a little bit. You <laughs> well, know, I think I think a lot of it's like, and you were saying this before. I think like part of it is like music school gives you more knowledge than you ever really knew that you wanted. Yeah, and like for me personally, you know, same up to when I was like even freshman year of 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 here of college. Neil Young was like by far my favorite yeah. artist and like I think it becomes a thing where you just think that that's like what music is you're like oh what does music sound like well it sounds like after the gold rush Neil yeah. Young's album in like 1973 like that's you know that's what that sounds like yeah but now that I listen back to it after having like the knowledge and giving and l- listening to other genres of music more and like enjoying other uh styles eras all that kind of stuff I listen back I'm like this doesn't sound like what music sounds like anymore. This sounds like yeah. a record, you know, like oh, its own oh, thing. Yeah. And you're just analyzing it harmonically and you're <laughs> yeah. like, well, those guitars are out of tune and all his thirds are flat when yeah. he sings them. And it's just like, and then you realize like, that's why I liked it before yeah. I knew anything about exactly. it. You know, like I liked it because it was out of tune. I liked it because yeah. he's an awful singer. I liked it because, yeah. you know, all of these things, it's just kind of weird. It's like a weird place to be in. It is you a know? weird place to be in, you know, when you have maybe, yeah, too much knowledge and like, but I think, you know, it's because, and like the, like when I first maybe, oh wow, sentences, but like, um, <laughs> <laughs> I guess what I'm trying to say is that, you know, music comes from the heart and that's yeah. why we like it, you know? Totally. And obviously, like when Steve Vai came into Forum, mm-hmm. obviously a super intelligent musician. Yeah. And he was saying that the academics can help, but if it's not rooted in the heart, it just yeah. becomes heady in an exercise or something. Totally. Like, I mean, White Stripes are an example of a band that's like all heart. Yeah. And it's so great. <coughs> Other bands that are great, Hiatus Coyote. There's a lot of head to that music. Yeah. It's rooted in the heart, and that's why it's totally, great. Totally, totally. You know? And I think that's why it's hard to balance being a creative person and being a student here. Because yeah. you're forced to be heady a lot of the time when you're here. You know? Yeah. It's We're hard to like very create intellectual that space. glasses. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's definitely like a tricky thing to balance. Yeah. I feel you, man. Anyways... <laughs> I just wish Jack White would, uh, I just miss the old songs, you know, but that happens a lot with artists, you know, as yeah. they grow or whatever there's, as they get less angry, 
Well, I guess he's getting more angry. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I just, my worst fear is that Jack White's listening and he's like, I thought you were my friend, Mackin. <laughs> what the hell? <laughs> you know, yeah. uh, Jack White, if you're listening, I love you so much. You're my hero. Actually, speaking of that, this is an interesting thing. I think it's important to challenge your heroes. And I was, sorry. That's, okay, that's exactly what I was going to say, actually. Yeah, really? Go. Yeah. I was going to say, like, I had a lot of problems a couple years ago being like, I can't do that. Neil would never like it if he heard that, you know, and all that stuff. And I feel like a big step for me was like getting out of that and being like, no, he would. Yeah. Like the vibe of all the people that I've liked throughout my life are the ones that like were bold enough to not listen to anybody, including their own heroes, you know, like to like, you got to learn from them and then you got to kill them. Yeah. (laughs) At some point. There's a Father John Missy song called I'm writing a novel Mm -hmm. on his first record. And there's like a, a road, a road to Malibu on a dune buggy with Neil. He's talking about Neil. Yeah, yeah, he says, you're going to have to drown me down. on. Th- you're going to have to drown me down on the beach if you ever want to write the real. Nice. And I said, I'm sorry, young man. What was your name? But basically in, in his song, he's talking about murdering Neil Young yeah. <laughs> you know, so that he can be his own yeah. artist. Mm-hmm. And when he talks about his transformation period from the Jay Tillman stuff to the Father John Misty stuff, mm-hmm. it's exactly that. It's him looking back and being like, how do I be this folk singer guy and yeah. sing about mountains and brotherhood or whatever yeah. and he goes like no I need to reject that I need to be who I actually am which yeah. is like a guy living in Hollywood who takes out a roll and goes to strip clubs sometimes <laughs> yeah. and then you know reads transcendental or um, you know existential literature and then like gets naked and climbs a tree <laughs> you know <laughs> yeah. and it's like that is so interesting you know and there's this really awesome documentary called Kill Your Idols that's on Netflix Okay, that's about um, I think it's about it's about a bunch of I forget. I'm, I sometimes do, music documentaries blend together, <laughs> but I, it has to do with I know Sonic Youth is in it, and I know the Yeah Yeah Yeahs are in it, and I want to say that Television is in it as well. Mm-hmm. And this other artist, I think her name was Lydia Lunch, who was part of the Teenage uh, Jesus and the Jerks. They were part of the CBGB seventies okay. punk scene, <coughs> and just a lot of that same thing of, of of saying like it's so great to learn from people and be influenced by them, but. One day, you know, you got to let it go so you can move past it. Totally. Or else you're just an imitation or like a nostalgia act or something. Yeah. Totally. I can. That was, yeah. That was a huge thing for me to like realize. And I didn't realize it for a long, long time. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard, you know, because like a lot of ways, like I was listening to some old demos of mine like that. And there's clearly like I was writing. And you have to do that. I'm not saying like, I was so stupid. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, how yeah, what the yeah, hell? Yeah, I'm so yeah, embarrassed. Yeah. And I'm still doing that, I'm sure, on some levels. And I'll look back in years and be like, oh, I didn't even realize <laughs> that I was stuck yeah. in that way or something. Totally, you know? totally. But that's the part of making art that's great. You know, you grow yeah. and you learn and you become a new person. But I, yeah, I used to definitely write like, oh, you know, if... And sometimes I find that now too. I'm like, oh, Father John Misty would never say this, you know, or something. Yeah. And I won't say it. And I'm just like, well, fuck it. I mean, I can say it, you know? <laughs> One of the reasons that I love, and I want to talk to you about this because I know you're a big fan of this record. Yeah. Or you might be. Uh, Carrie and Lowell by Sufjan Stevens. I've only listened to it a couple times, actually. Oh, I'm not man. super into that album. But let's talk okay. about it. Let's talk well, about just, it. Let's talk uh, about as it. an example, yeah, it's just, yeah. um, he's some, like, there's a song called All of Me Who Wants All of You. Yeah. It's the third song on I the record. I actually really like that song. So good. So well, like, good. the third lyric is, you checked your text while I masturbated. <laughs> yes. And it's like, you know. You know, Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young wouldn't write that lyric. (laughs) Yeah, exactly, exactly. (laughs) But that, you know, but to me, like that's. But they were writing lyrics that were relevant to their times. Exactly, exactly. Like part of being a modern person is like masturbating and having a cell phone. Yeah, totally. And so the fact that those are very organically represented on on that record, along with just like more human, universal themes like death and yeah, 
childhood and, and parenthood and child parent relationships and just like the fact that he's able to include his specific humanity and he's like, you know, I'm ordering French fries or whatever. And yeah. it feels so organic and like even sonically just how it's yeah. produced. Like it just sounds so different you yeah. know, than like the classic modern singer songwriter record. Totally. Now, what you were talking about production wise, about how so many people just try to make folk records sound like the 60s yeah you know totally and that blew my mind i was like you're so right <laughs> you know <laughs> like you're yeah. so right everything that sounds like authentic or dope is just like hearkening back to when that music was modern yeah you know exactly and so if you, like if that you, was pushing the envelope at the time exactly you, know? you yeah. know so it's not a true representation because yeah. they weren't being like man let's do what they did in the 20s or yeah. something you know yeah and so like a, a, a more accurate reflection would be to embrace yourself, you know, yeah. and to push forward. I, I had a really cool. scarily interesting, weird moment freshman year. I was taking trombone lessons with this guy named Andy Martin. He's like yeah. one of the most world-renowned trombone players in the world. That was redundant. Um, <laughs> but I had like this, he was like, it was his first year teaching here. I was like yeah. one of the first students to take from him oh, like man. at USC. I was super excited. Heck yeah. And I, that was like at the same time I was going through this huge existential crisis of like, why am I playing trombone? What, what I want to be Neil Young. Why am I playing yeah. trombone? Um, I wanted to ask you about that also. Oh, it's, it's a weird story. Um, I didn't but, mean to sidetrack you. <laughs> no, no, it's, um, it actually is sort of related. Um, but you know, I was still stuck in the mindset of like, why couldn't I be like alive in the sixties, man, when music was authentic and cool and real and stuff. And then I had a conversation with this trombone teacher, this like world renowned trombone player. And he goes, Man, I just wish I was born, you know, and like alive in the 30s and 40s when music was real, man. Yeah. You know, like big band swing. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, oh. that's, yeah, that's not, <laughs> this is not an original thought that I'm having. And it's not at yeah. all like actually rooted in the 60s or 70s. It's just rooted in like, you know, the music that was before that's not now because now exactly. sucks, you know? Yeah. Um, I think it's mostly that. I think yeah. sometimes there's a little bit of like, <laughs> Well, it's interesting because it pisses me off a lot of times when people say, like, I wish I was born in the 60s, yeah. you know, because it's like, man, you're just looking at, like, photographs on Tumblr, bitch. Like, <laughs> like that's yeah. not what those times were like. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? You look at this crazy, nostalgized version of things and, like, yeah. like the 50s were, like, one of the most oppressed times of yeah. ever, yeah. you know, and we, yep. like, look at these pictures of people in these, like, skinny suits with, like, <laughs> like Ray-Bans. They look so and cool, like, oh, man. oh, man, yeah. I want to go there. Yeah. And I'm just like, well, that was probably, like, a really racist, uptight, <laughs> sexually oppressed time. It sounds <laughs> fucking horrible. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, I, I, like, one of the reasons why the 60s and 70s were so cool is because those people made it cool, yeah. you know? And I think that, like, uh, I don't know, like, it's easy to look at something that's already happened and be like, oh, man, we missed it, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. But it's like, yeah. you know, if you want to be part of a cool era, like make your era cool. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know? Exactly. Instead of, I totally just, agree with you that. Know. Yeah. 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 But I, I, I had that a lot too. Like I remember thinking like, <sighs> I don't know. What was I going to ask you? I was going to ask you about trombone. the trombone thing. <laughs> yeah. And I, and I, I don't mean to like assume I know what you're thinking or something, no, but no. I remember because you're an incredible singer-songwriter. And the Thank fact you. you told me the other day that you started playing guitar freshman year, and I was like, what the? Shitballs? Yeah, sort of. Yeah. You're like a guitar singer-songwriter guy. <laughs> and then I see you whip out this trombone thing, and you just demolish it, you know? And then Thanks. I think after a Hartwood show, like, I was like, man, great trombone playing. And you were like, I, I, I could tell that you were a little bummed. <laughs> Maybe you weren't. Maybe <laughs> no, it was something I probably else. was. I was probably bummed. <laughs> I, I, I don't think that was the only thing I said, and I wasn't yeah. like real shitty show, but man, that trombone, <laughs> you yeah, know? yeah, because your songs are great and your frontmanship is great. You Thank know? you. I just like, 
I, I, I was thinking about it later, and I was like, man, does he feel like pigeonholed in the trombone player thing? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I totally... I don't feel that way anymore, really, because I, I spend... I really spend like 1% of my time playing and or thinking yeah. about trombone now. And so yeah. it's not as big of like a shadow or a burden. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was just really weird, you know, cause I grew up playing trombone. Like I started playing trombone when I was eight and I was in like this really, really like advanced elementary school band. Like the band program in my elementary school was ridiculous and we would compete against high yeah. school bands and oh, like, wow. it was crazy cool. That's awesome. <laughs> and I was like the first trombone player and I was, you know, like holding yeah. it down and it was cool. Um, and then as I entered into middle school, you know, a lot of my identity had already been as a trombone player from yeah. this elementary school thing. And I went to a school that had an awful music program and I knew I liked music and I knew I was good at trombone. So I was like, I got to find ways to do this outside of school since it's not, you know, yeah. really provided at school. And mm. so I had to do all these things. And after a while, it became, you know, a big part of who I was. And at the same time is when I started getting into popular music. You know, yeah. and it almost seemed like these two completely disparate things. It was yeah. like this thing I'm good at and this thing that I like, you mm. know. And, you know, at some point in middle school, then I just started putting on Neil Young records and like blasting trombone solos over the records. That's awesome. And like I just do that for hours. That's punk as shit, um, dude. Yeah, it was totally like random and weird, but it was like the only way I could express with how I knew over what I liked, if yeah. that makes sense. Um, well, that's how new things yeah exactly and so as i got farther and farther into high school i had this community of jazz musicians that i played a lot with and i was playing a lot of jazz at the time yeah mostly because and i remember thinking this to myself at the time too like mostly because it was the only thing the trombone was in besides classical music through school or just cats that you knew both kind of um and it kind of was like started in school and then the teachers there like had me play with their colleagues and all that kind of stuff that's so cool yeah and and the the san diego jazz scene is pretty small and close-knit and so everyone kind of knows each other yeah. after it once you're like in it just um, that sounds so cool i just grew up in garages <laughs> and i'm just sometimes insecure about you know like yeah, when I yeah, yeah. talk about jazz i'm just like oh, i'm well, so bad at jazz <laughs> but so am i is the thing and that's the thing i learned was that i would still be playing like trombone solos like i would over neil young over like giant steps or something yeah and everyone was like you're a really good trombone player well, the jazz guys would be like, you're a really good trombone player, but you don't know how to play jazz at all. But like, you're a really good trombone player, you know? <laughs> um, and, and they slowly kind of instilled to me this this insecurity about, like, the only real music is jazz music. And, like, yeah. if it's not hard to play or if it's not harmonically complex or whatever, it's not real, you know, or it's not good. And so I kind of had, like, this really bad connotation with all of that. And it would be like, well... I'm going to like Wilco then because at least it's out, you know, or like at least it's yeah. weird and has like weird sounds and like, right. you know, I'll never like hip hop or like but Katy man, Perry. The heart because... of those Wilco songs are pentatonic melodies oh, and diatonic yeah. chords. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> you know, um, they're folk songs like at the end of they're the day. folk songs, you know. Um, and so it was when I got here that I realized that no one was saying anything like that. No one was like, fuck non-jazz music and all that stuff. And it was like, wow. Yeah. That's what I'm allowed to be what I want to be here. Yeah. And that's kind of how I slowly made the transition away 
It was uh-huh. like, be- honestly, in a lot of ways, it was just because of Patrice. I would have like existential awesome. crisis meetings with her once a week or something. And she'd be like, you can do whatever you want to do. And it's okay. <laughs> it seems obvious, but that's incredibly liberating. Yeah. You know, very. And another proponent of that is, is capital, you know, mm-hmm. and he just, one of the things he He's says a, a lot example. of times, because yeah. there's, there's a lot of like egotism where it's like, oh, if it's not complicated, it's not good, but there's a lot of reverse egotism where it's just like, if it's complicated, it's bad. And pop music can only be simple. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And he's just like, man, music can be as simple as you want. And music can be as complicated as yeah, you want. And totally. like, that isn't its inherent value. Totally. You know? Both are really awesome, you know? And he, he shows us songs like Giant Steps in class and explains us why they're awesome and all these different harmonic devices operate. Totally, yeah. But then we'll also, you know, talk about like, um, oh, sometimes we, I, I don't, I can't think of a specific example, but you know, you put on a John Prine record and they're one, four, five chords yeah. and yeah. they're just like fucking mind blowing, you know? Yeah, exactly. And just the, I don't know. I'm, I'm a big fan of like good music is good music. You totally. Know? As opposed yeah. to like, Oh, good music is crazy chords or yeah. something. Well, and the weird thing with me when it came to jazz too, was I just thought it was like, Oh, good jazz musicians are just musicians that know a lot of theory and they like know how yeah. things work. And so I would like get really nerdy with theory, which is why I came here. And I was like, it yeah. was a pretty easy classes for me because all of my free time slash quote unquote practicing on the trombone was like, how do I learn more theory to be better at jazz? Yeah. And, um, do you find that it's not that way? It's not that way. Interesting. It, it partially is like the That's theory how I feel is more as a complicated play jazz. Yeah. And we'll, we're learning about what modes and scales to play over certain chords yeah. and, and, or, and how the chords function depends on like what mode you should play. Totally. To me, it's like, wow, it's just like a lot of knowledge that it's, I would it's need to It's very complicated and it's, it, it does take a lot more theory than like pop harmony or whatever. But, at the end of the day, it is about melody, strangely enough. Yeah. And it's melody in a total, completely different way than we think about it in pop of like singing along or anything like that. It's Man. like, <laughs> it's not like that. It's like creative harmonic melody. And it's like, yeah. it's not like once you know the information, you know it. It's not like you're inventing new theory by being a good jazz musician. It's mm-hmm. like you're playing along in the lines of like what that complex harmony is and creating and building on old melodies, but but creating your own as in, in, in the same way that we like yeah. take Jack White and Neil Young and then like make our music and we push it forward. It's the same exact thing. Yeah. And that was something I didn't get until I quit jazz. It wasn't something I understood until afterwards. And then I was, was like, was that a distinct moment when you were like, I quit jazz or would you just gradually start playing less? It and was, less jazz? I mean, I over freshman year, I sort of played less and less. I was in the Thornton jazz orchestra freshman year and I took, oh, really? yeah, I took jazz lessons that. freshman year. And the minute I stopped oh, wow. doing oh, all that. Oh, I remember that, you telling me this. Like, you wanted, you came in for both, kind of. Yes, yes. I was a double major for until orientation. Then I stopped. Yeah. But I still, but I kept doing, like, the ensembles and stuff for the first year. Yeah. And halfway through second semester of my freshman year, I was like, I don't want to do this. And then the minute I quit the ensemble and stopped taking jazz lessons, that was kind of, like, when I stopped. Mm. At least when I stopped doing jazz. I was still doing more trombone yeah. than I am now, but I, was, I stopped jazz. It was, like, too much yeah. for me. I guess I don't yeah. know. Yeah, man, your trombone sounded great in the concert last night. Thank you, you thank know? you. Cool. So, do you still do you feel comfortable having it be a part of you? You know, yeah. Um, well, that kind of goes to what you were talking about with the Hartwood thing. And a- after every Hartwood show, someone always comes like and be like, "Oh my god, you play trombone? That's crazy! Like I you're think so it's just good." Because people are shocked because in a rock context, they're just like, you know, if you brought out yes. an alligator, they'd be like, "Holy <laughs> fuck, there's an alligator!" <laughs> yeah, 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 totally. <laughs> You totally. Know? It's totally like novel and random and like interesting. Yeah. Um, it's also good. You know, it's yeah. not just a novel it's not and ju- random. That's fair. That, that's fair. But yeah, it's just, it's like. But obviously, you know what I'm saying? It's, that's not, to me, 
the heart of Heartwood. Yeah. LOL. <laughs> but I mean, like, you know, it's the heart of it is your songwriting. And it's not like this is a trombone band. It yeah, was just like a totally. decoration that you yeah, threw yeah, on yeah, the yeah. top totally. of it. You know? I just, the problem I have with it is like, I don't want to use it because I have it. I'd rather, I, ideally it would be like, I want the tone of the trombone right. in this. And yeah. that's not what's happening. You know? Reach for it as opposed to having to lean on it or exactly, something. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. But at the end of the day, it's like if I had never played trombone, I would never be like, you know what would be really cool in this band? <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? So like yeah. in that way, it's always going to be a, a, like a crutch in, a, in some way. It's like, oh, I have it. I'm going to use it as opposed to like yeah. this needs the trombone, you know? Yeah. And that's always why I like, I don't know, what's the word? Like shiver or shudder? You know what I'm saying? Like I, I always like mm. cringe a little bit whenever like it gets brought up because I always feel like oh, it's just there because I know how to do it and I've done it for a long time and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Um, but I know that's not how it's perceived and that's not how people mean it. So I have to like take it with a grain of salt. Totally. I guess, it seems know? like you got a very healthy like way to think about it, you know? Yeah. And I was just curious yeah. about it. No, know? no worries. <laughs> yeah, man. It's not like a like dark thing <laughs> that I can't talk about. <laughs> well, I, I could just see that it, it might not from the way that you were at all, but I was just like, Oh man, like I, I'm, I worry that I was just thinking like, like not that this is true. This isn't based off of anything <laughs> at all, but I was just thinking in your junior pop class, a bit, like I was just imagining all these people being like, when are you going to play the trombone again? <laughs> or something. And you're being like, I'm tied to this. Yeah. Damn it. I mean, that did happen but for a while you... because I was also, you know, not a good guitar player and not a good singer freshman year and so the only that thing that blows my mind i i, I promise you i was a guitar player in like a great band well i was a lead singer and guitar player freshman year too it just wasn't a good <laughs> lead singing or tr- or guitar playing that's so admirable um, good for you thanks man sometimes i'm just like along you know i'm in my little path and i'm just like it's too late i've picked my <laughs> things you know yeah yeah yeah, yeah. And, uh, and that takes a lot of balls to go ground up on very, something just because you very like very scary and that's like respectable as shit you know because I like the drums Thank a lot. You. And I should, you know, there are days where I'm just like, fuck it. I should just be a drummer. But I'm just like, ah, it's too late. I, ever, <laughs> I know way too many drummers that are so much better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, there's actually a drummer um, who goes here. And I only know him, I know about this because he's from San Diego too. Mm. His name's Ryan Shaw. And he's in my grade and he's a jazz drummer. And I think he started playing drums like freshman year of high school or something. And he's like yeah. one of the best jazz drummers Damn, in this school. Awesome. And it's like... God damn, like if you really can like want to pick something up, you yeah. know, like there are people like that that are always just like, okay, exactly. I guess you can do it. Yeah. You know? Well, I think the drummer from Hyatt's Coyote started when he was like 20 or something. Really? That's what I heard. Oh and I God. saw him and I was like, you're probably the best drummer I've ever seen in my whole <laughs> life. And yeah. I, I like, part of me thinks that that story is not true at all of him playing with, or he was like killing at like congas or something and then like switch <laughs> to like, drum set or something yeah you know? yeah like, yeah I, I wonder what the whole story is i don't know because i'm not as like knowledgeable about that band i just like i like the records and i saw their show gotcha um but yeah someone said that he started playing when he was 20 and i was like that guy's That's such insane. a good drummer <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah you know i also like grew up with my dad hates it when i when i say it like this but this is how i perceived it i grew up with very strict parents who were very mm-hmm. like work ethic oriented mm-hmm like, I remember when I was in middle school, you know, I would be playing along to my Neil Young, and my dad would, like, walk up the stairs and go into the room that I was playing in, and he would go, you know, Mike, um, if you want to be a professional trombone player, there's another 13-year-old somewhere out there right now practicing his scales. Shouldn't mm-hmm. you be practicing your scales? <laughs> and, like, he meant well, and, like, I really respect yeah. him for it, you know, because he just wanted, he, like, in his life didn't work as hard as he felt like he should have, and so he was trying to instill that in his kids. Totally. But 
by the time I was like a junior in high school, I became this huge workaholic and it's totally translated here. You know, like I'm just constantly working in in a lot of ways have problems with like when I'm not working, I'm kind of freaking out a little bit. Yeah. Um, Because it's, it's such an easy thing to do. And I do the same thing where I attach my sense of self to like how busy I am, you know? Yeah, totally. I I know that I'm not an asshole if I'm like (laughs) doing my homework or like doing all these things or, you know, or not, not an asshole, but like a worthless piece of shit or something. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and that's why, you know, I've told you this before, but freshman year, the reason I practiced so much was exactly because of that. It was just like, all I have to do is practice guitar three hours a day if I want to learn guitar. And all I have to do is, like, keep up trombone is practice three hours of trombone a day, and I'm going to pick up singing. I'll practice an hour of singing. Okay, seven hours a day of practicing. Let's do it, you know? That's And it would it was dumb, and it didn't really work most of the time, but it, oh, like... Okay, I know that, thing. but, like, also, <laughs> holy shit, that's amazing. I've never practiced my instrument for seven hours a day, It ever. was... <laughs> yeah, and it would be... It's, it's actually very close to that two-week cycle. I think it was more like a week cycle. It'd be like yeah. Monday through Thursday, I would do it well, and then I That's on incredible. Thursday through if Sunday, I, did that for I would one day. I would never <laughs> touch my instrument for like a month. I'd be like, I played for seven hours last week. <laughs> well, but it was also inspired by like insecurity and like I'm not good at these instruments. Right. I need to like get better because there's yeah. all these really talented people here and all that kind of stuff too. But yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. You know, when like fear yields a positive result to some degree and yeah. you're like okay that was motivated by fear but i ran away from that lion <laughs> that was <Yeah>. cool <laughs> yeah <You know>? totally <laughs> totally there was a great there's a there's a documentary uh there's a beyonce documentary and she talks about that at one point because she was like crazy workaholic i don't know how much like you know about her personal life no but, but i love no. the fact that like ev- that's just the best segue ever it's just like <laughs> There's this Beyonce documentary, <laughs> and I'm sure it's amazing, but yeah, I just, it's, I'm going to have to steal that as a segue. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's not exactly like the go-to Speaking of whatever you were talking about, um, there's this Beyonce documentary. <laughs> but she was like a crazy workaholic by the time she was like five, and her dad would really? make her like sing, like do her vocal warm-ups and like yeah. go through a set when she was like seven while running along a track so that she could like keep up the stamina oh, and sing. Shit. And she's this dancer that had the same sort of routine for dancing that she did for singing and all That's this kind of stuff. That's she's an alien, man. Yeah. She was literally done it since she was five. And she talks about that in her documentary. She said, I have, I had to come to a place like around, I think when she was like 30, like a place of realizing that it's not a healthy way to live your whole life by thinking that, you're never going to be good enough. Like that's what got her to keep going yeah. was that I'm going to get there. Yeah. And if you're always in that mindset, then you're never going to, you know, there you have to be oh, like, man. it's okay now. Yeah. I, I did those things. It's okay. Yeah. You know, it's so hard emotionally <laughs> or work wise, like just to be comfortable with process. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I'm, I'm the same way, like emotionally about myself, you know, mm-hmm. or if I, if I find myself falling short in some way, socially or emotionally, I'm like, why haven't I evolved yet? Like I yeah. intellectually understand what I need to, or the place I need to be. But yeah. just like it, it's, there's so much lag time between when your head <laughs> recognizes a problem and when your heart like <laughs> is able to integrate it and yeah. you're able to like truly behave that way. There's that whole like life thing that has to happen in between. Yeah. Of just like processing and stuff. Exactly. Yeah. And yeah. it's just, I don't know. I've, there's just so much of, it's just like holding your breath and just waiting yep. until you get to the place. And it's just like, that's a moving target, man. <laughs> <laughs> a great example of this that I'm sure you can relate to too. And it's something I've been thinking about a lot recently is like, you know, we assume our goals. I know both of us, our goals are like to be artists and to be, you know, doing that professionally and all this stuff. 
And at least for me, you know, like <laughs> just, that would have been so funny if you're like, I know the goals for both of us. Like to be famous pizza maker. Yeah. You know? <laughs> just took them up to <laughs> Well, I, I didn't want to go off like too much of a, you know, I, 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 I was really I, hoping that your goal is to be an artist. because that's what I've these beautiful so points far. and I'm like, speaking of scrubs, <laughs> and I'm like, pizza, great show. <laughs> and you're like trying to talk about these profound things. I apologize. <laughs> no, dude, you're good. <laughs> um, but, you know, we something I've realized is like, you know, I want to be this artist and I want to be signed to a label and I want to, you know, be doing those things. And it's mm-hmm. weird to think like, yeah, in my life, like that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to be an artist. I'm going to be signed. I'm going to be doing all these things. And it's like, I have never once yet been in a record label office. You know, like I've never once been yeah. approached by an A&R per- I've never once nope. been even, and I'm, and yeah. I'm just assuming like, yeah, no, that's, that's going to happen. That's going to be what, what yeah. happens. And it's a weird thing. It's very scary. Like I always freak out every time I think about it. I'm like, I haven't done any of that yet. How am I going to do any of that? Oh, you know, all man. that stuff. Me too. <laughs> so much so. But it, that's just a weird like way to look at the timeline of your life and be like, this is what I'm hoping slash I'm really thinking is going to happen. And it just hasn't happened yet. And that's okay. And that's yeah. like the process of getting there. Yeah, man. Is just as equal to like when it happens. Yeah. And all that stuff. Well, it's interesting because I, I think about my life like that way too. And I just, every time I think about the future, I'm like, making money from playing music and that's you know providing for my living and and you know it's whether i'm like recording some album or like on tour with a cool band or you know in my daydreams they're all contingent upon the fact that i have a successful (laughs) music career you know yeah and i and then i'm just like there are days where i'm just like that's like crazy you know and like the fact you know just like my whole life is i don't know like there are certain things where you're like oh i'm gonna I guess there's no security really in any career, you know, yeah. um, and people lose their jobs all the time and then, and people make plans that get disrupted whenever, but yeah. I just feel like particularly music, it's just like, <laughs> there's just so many variables yeah. that it's just like, there's so many situations in which I don't get to make music <laughs> for the rest of my life, you know, most of them actually, most of yeah, them, yeah. you know, and so it's just, it's so hard to just be present and be like, I got to make music today. Yeah, today was a great day, <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah. And um but just like in a larger sense, it's just there's just so much suffering that happens when you're clinging to the way you think that things should be, you know? Yeah. So you have these expectations and you have these dreams and you're for me, I'm speaking, you know, clinging super hard to them yeah. and then when they stray from that, like, I am crushed, yeah. you know, yeah. whether it's yeah. with a girl or what is a conversation yeah. with a friend or something, I'm just like even right now, I yeah. was like, I'm going to stand with Michael and we're going to have a freestyle rap off, you know? <laughs> and I was like, oh, we're going to, and I was just fixating on that idea. And I'm always like so pleasantly surprised and, and reminded of that fact that, uh, you know, you just, you need to be present and, and respond to the pre- the present moment as opposed to yeah. like, because if I had came in here and, and like said like, we're going to freestyle <laughs> rap each other, uh, we would have missed all these gems. Yeah, yeah, know? yeah, totally. And, uh, and I think in a larger sense. Wait, wait, real quick. Yeah. How did you think that I was like at all a viable candidate for we freestyle? Last night. It was awful. I Mine got through like a too. line and a half. <laughs> <laughs> I stopped like before I rhymed one word. <laughs> I stopped. Just the fact that we did it, I was just like, "That's what we're gonna do on the podcast tomorrow." <laughs> fair enough. And fair then enough. I was clinging to that all day. See, that's yeah. I was clinging so hard yeah, I didn't yeah, even yeah. listen to your rap. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> I was watching a TED talk the other day, and it was about how to make better conversation. Yeah. And. It was actually very, very inspiring. Um, I need to, you send it to me? I will send it to you. Please it's do. like five minutes too. It's like not very long. 
but it's about I, I never I didn't recognize her name, but apparently she's some TV show host, inter, professional interviewer person. Yeah, and basically there were like ten different thing, ten, ten different tips that she gave, and all of them were surrounded by the fact of like stop predicting the future, basically. Like stop yeah. thinking about what you're going to respond with and listen to what they're saying, you know. Yeah. And like one of the tips was literally like right now I've already been thinking <laughs> of my response. <laughs> well, one of one of the responses was and like the bad part was, you know, as I'm sure we all do, I'm like, well, I probably already do these 10 things. Let's just, <laughs> you know, see what she throws my way. <laughs> Let and, me get complimented by this TED <laughs> <yeah>. talk. <laughs> and like at least 5 of them were like I do exactly the opposite of yeah. what she just said. And one of them was, you know, if someone's responding to you and they give like a three-minute response, don't reply with what you thought of in the first minute. That's – right? That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. It's like listen to the other two minutes and then respond with where their point ended as opposed to where their point started. Yeah. And I was wow, like – Wow, that's great. That's not at all what I do. I don't do that I at do. all. It's not what I'm doing right now. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> it's hard too because – It's hard. I, I listened to that like three weeks ago and I think I have yet to do that successfully. Like yeah. it's really – you're so used to it and it's so hard. Yeah. But imagine how much better a conversation would be if you like listened all the way to the end and exactly. then responded. <laughs> yeah. It's really difficult. Especially I over talk, you know, mm-hmm. and I I'm <coughs> egotistically sometimes think like, oh, I'm so excited to share my idea. It's more important than everyone else's yeah. <laughs> or something. The, uh, like the, fa- the like – act of having your mouth moving like like, speaking uh, it is like that was great conversation exactly and there there are times where i I, i'm passing somebody and they're like how are you and then i i go on this like thing that i already know and it's like 45 seconds or whatever then they're like oh i gotta go and i'm just (laughs) like i already knew what i had to say (laughs) like what the hell man i totally missed a great interaction with that person yeah totally i think it's totally also true in a musical context like whenever i'm improvising or or jamming with someone Mm -hmm. and i'm trying to like think of things to respond with rather than listening you yeah know? Totally, totally carter may have some amazing phrase that i can play yeah. off of rather yeah. than me being like no 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 what's my sweet riff gonna be <laughs> that's gonna determine this jam session yeah totally and i like just music being such a wonderful analog to language you yeah know? Totally, totally i had this really interesting experience the other day i took vocal rest on tuesday cool i didn't talk all day and it was just so fascinating <laughs> for so many reasons. Uh-huh. Um, one, primarily because I just realized how much I don't need to say, you know, <laughs> and how much gets articulated just by the people around me mm-hmm. and or just by my facial expressions or just my presence. And like, yeah, it was just so interesting to see. Mm. And like, yeah, I was just shocked. I was just like, wow, I speak so much, <laughs> you know, and especially yeah. on this this podcast, like there are times where I'm because I listen back and I edit these and I'm like, damn, like someone will throw this amazing thread out and I'll be clinging to the first thing that they said yeah. and I'll sort of like take it in a certain direction as opposed to listening. Yeah. And, um, it was just a, a wonderful reminder of like totally. how important listening is and making conversation. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, you yeah. Know? And it's just, it was so interesting that not talking thing because like there were certain people that like I wasn't, there's some people I was very frustrated by when I couldn't talk, you know, mm-hmm. um, but people that knew me really well and like people that I considered like really close friends, we were having kind of pretty complicated conversations <laughs> where I wasn't speaking at all, <laughs> yeah. you know, and huh. I, we would just sit there and we would talk and I would sort of respond or, or mime a word or something. Or, and then we would crack up and I started like me, my friend, Jack, you know, Jack, yeah. DeMeo. Yeah. we were just, we we're laughing so much, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, and, uh, it just, there was just a couple of people that I just, 
it's crazy how me, like people that understand you without you having to say anything. Totally, totally. And that was mind blowing to me. I've gotten really into this author recently named David Foster Wallace. I'm sure you've. I'm recently into trying him. to get into him as cool. well. I just started reading uh, brief interviews with hideous men. I'm like gotcha. ten pages into it. I started. Um, Infinite Jest over winter break, and I got pretty far, and nice. then the semester happened, and I he's haven't gotten a through. little too smart for me. He's so smart. He's the most the smartest um, person. <laughs> <laughs> but I've gotten really into his interviews, and like, there's a mm. movie about him called The End of the Tour. I saw a preview for that, and I was like, I gotta it's see that. It's a fantastic movie, and the, the Infinite Jest ties a lot into like just his, you know life philosophies and the mm. life philosophies get addressed a lot in the movie as well. And so I was almost like when I was getting into him over winter break, I was kind of just getting into his life perspective and like the way he thinks the yeah. world should work. Didn't he kill himself? Yeah. But that was <laughs> that, that, yeah. It, it I all... don't mean to be like, therefore his ideas <laughs> are bad, <laughs> but I just always find that fascinating. Yeah. He, he was on antidepressants since he was 20 and they stopped working. Um, and he killed himself like a month and a half later or something. Yeah. So that's really, really, really sad. Um, but his whole life philosophy, and the movie does a really, really good job of this because it pins like a quote-unquote stereotypical American lifestyle against his, which is very, very not stereotypically American. Yeah. It is in some ways, but not in a lot of ways. Um, yeah. And he's all about this whole thing about conversation. And he's all about like, you know, the reason he's a good writer is exactly because he's not smarter than anybody else it's because he just listens and observes and mm. it's about process and it's about you know like experiencing and all of his all of his writing even as a songwriter i've like learned a lot from him because he's so detail oriented but it's not necessarily detail oriented yeah. like sometimes it's like the door was black and it had a mirror like a window in the middle but sometimes it's like he pushed the window he pushed the door closed like he was I, I'm going to fuck this up, but it, it's something like he pushed the door closed in that half tired sort of way, you know, yeah. and that's such a detail, but it's so not a detail, you know, yeah. it's like getting at a feeling by literally describing it vaguely, but yeah, it, you immediately relate to the spe specificity of that moment, you know, yeah. and that's really cool. And I think he's really, really good at doing that both in conversation and in, like, the way that he interacted with people in every way. Like, if you listen to his interviews, he has that where it, he tries to turn it into a conversation as opposed to an interview. He tries yeah. to, like, I don't know. It, I could go on and on and on about him because I'm really, really into him right now. But yeah. his lifestyle is, like, exactly what we're talking about. Yeah. It's totally this, like, observatory and conversationalist thing. And yeah. it's super, super, super cool. It is super That's super cool. I don't know tangent, enough about him. <laughs> no, I just I know so many cool people that are into him, and um, it's weird because I was actually introduced to him by an ex girlfriend. So it's always weird. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. so interesting, especially like if you're a person that's into culture and things mm -hmm. like the exchanges that you have via <laughs> relationships. Yeah, like you know, you show each other records and films and you know books and things, and, <laughs> and then you. You move on and you keep the books yeah. and, <laughs> and the movies. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And, uh, I, yeah, I'm sorry. I don't know why. I'd, I was just all, because I don't It's just weird because, um, so when I read my David Foster Wallace book, I'm like, there's this other layer happening. Yeah. Where it's yeah, just yeah, like, totally. 
this other this is I'm like I'm where I'm wondering why it's cool and I'm also not wondering but I'm I'm trying to appreciate it but I'm also wondering why this other person appreciated it and sort of seeing gotcha. it through two lenses totally you know? totally um but it's unbelievable you know yeah and I I read his uh convocation speech mm-hmm. for uh I forget what college Kenyon College yeah that's a yeah oh yeah. man. <laughs> Oh, it's amazing. Yeah. We talked about insane. the grocery store. Yeah. 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 Oh, Talk yeah. about detail again, right? Just exactly. like. Exactly. And yeah. so many little details about, yeah. you know, the kid, like whatever. Yeah. You know, can't remember them. Any of them, <laughs> of course. But uh, yeah, you know, and like he has this way of articulating really profound things that if he didn't do it in exactly the way he did it, it would be like really hokey or something. Yeah. You know, exactly. And he like basically in a really long, amazing way, very wholeheartedly, amazingly says just like give people the benefit of the doubt yeah (laughs) yeah and be nice yeah Um, yeah i think um i've had like a a realization over the past month or two about this sort of thing as well of like you know in a classic 18 year old white heterosexual male way tying it all back together um you know when i was in late high school junior and senior year blah 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 and kind of like early college there was very much this intellectual side of me that was like, I, you know, need to know these things and like, I'm going to be a hipster in this way and blah, blah, blah. And like pretentious in a lot of ways and all that kind of stuff. Um, and a lot of things happened recently, you know, part of it, I've had uh, a really close family friend died recently and another one is in the hospital right now. I'm sorry about that. It's all good. Actually the one that's in the hospital right now is like miraculously recovering and it's really, really cool. But I didn't even realize like this huge community of, of family and friends that I had that I totally kind of forgot about. Um, and the way that they're all relating and the, you know, is almost the same way of the, the whole David Foster Wallace philosophy of like breaking down the barriers of what you think is important and what you think is like, you know, if we want to call it career or we can call it intellectual or we can call it, you know, all of those kind of things. And like, at the end of the day, it really is all about caring about each other and like emotional intelligence and like being able to relate to a person in an emotionally in an emotional way and all those kind of things yeah. is like so much more fulfilling than any other way to live through the world. Yeah, and I think that's what brings all of us, even in the pop program, together is the fact that whether we know it or not, that's the way we're living because we're musicians and artists and writers and all that stuff. Like, yeah. we know that instinctively somehow anyway you know and it's really really cool that over the past like a month or two i've been able to understand it more in like a conscious way as opposed to just a subconscious way and it's i guess Mm. now i'm realizing i don't really have like a, a point of this but like it's just very uplifting and very cool to be able to consciously see that and see that happen with people that i've known since i was born that i didn't even realize i had that connection with yeah if that makes sense totally it's it's unfortunate sometimes that it takes a tragedy to make us realize like the amazing love in people that we have around us you know but in a yeah in a weird way part of that contrast thing is what what makes life so great you know yeah and uh i just remember I, i had a friend pass away in high school and like um i just you know it's just you don't realize how many amazing people that you're so lucky to have and, yeah and you just assume that everyone's gonna be there yeah <laughs> you know and then one day yeah. they're not and you're like yeah totally i have all these amazing people around i better have more conversations <laughs> i better you know yeah yeah and i mean when i was um, hang out more <laughs> it was like two or three weeks ago 
when the the one that's kind of miraculously recovering now was seeming like he wasn't going to make it and everyone flocked to that hospital and there were like at least 70 people in like a tiny waiting room cycling in and out like yeah. for about a week straight um and it wasn't like the se- same 70 people it was like the room on average had 70 people and other people were like in bars across the street and hotel rooms and all that kind of stuff um and what was really cool was that it was in the middle of this you know shitty end of semester time yeah and i wasn't a musician there you know and yeah. i wasn't a music student there i was like a person and a member of this community and it just put so many things in perspective in that way you know of like okay this is music school this sucks but at the end of the day like the people and the students that i'm here with are also more than musicians and they're also more than just my professional colleagues they're like yeah people that if I'm lucky and if I do this right, I will have as lifelong friends to be there when I'm about to, you know, die in the hospital and there's 70 people there. Like, yeah. you know, like th- there's there's a way that I- I've realized, I guess, recently that, you know, to be able to move past the student part of it and to be able to move past like the professional yeah. colleague part of it and to try to create friendships that, you know, in the in the most optimistic way or in in the in the most ideal way have nothing to do with music at all. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that's like the the dream, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Well, Sean Hall talks about that a lot too, like about mm-hmm. like being a person before you're an artist, you yeah. know, and separating yourself yeah. from your craft. And, and I, I don't it's know. It's really interesting. Yeah. I, I think I, you know, because I've taken lessons from him for a long time and he's told me that before. And I always thought it was like, yeah, I'm going to be more of a person that way I'll be a better artist, you know, <laughs> it'll be like, yeah, yeah I'll yeah. do this that way. I'll be I'll a have... person first so that my art will be better. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And it was the first time. Which does, I... it's true it's, also. Yeah, it's very true. But I feel you. I feel you on that. You know? Yeah. This was like the breaking of that bubble recently. I was like, wait, no, I should actually be a person first. Yeah. Um, anyway. Yeah. Total random tangent. I don't know how we got there. Sorry for like, dude. I don't know if you listen to any of the episodes of this podcast, <laughs> but there's no like. I don't have a series of like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we were supposed to turn left an hour ago, <laughs> Michael. You know. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. But yeah, it's um. I was that was the point where I if I had a point that's where I would say it. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Yeah. Well, thanks for doing my podcast. Man. Yeah, man. I'm really, really happy to to have done this. This is oh, great. No, I appreciate it so much, dude. I have to pee so much. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> let's let's go do that. Man. Okay, let's let's do that. <laughs> thanks for brilliant, dude. Yeah, man. Let's do a hug. Yeah, can we? Thanks for having me, man. Oh, of course, it. dude. I'll um, if you send me like either a song of yours, a solo song or a hardwood song. Hey there, little darling, I can see you now. I pried you wide open and I found you out. I don't know if we can make it through. But you know what they say, we do what we can do. Come here, little darling, I've seen your fears. I caught you in a dark room where you thought no one could hear. I don't know if we can make it through. 
But you know what they say We do what we can do Listen close, little darling You remember the part We rolled down the hillside And made love in the dark I don't know if we can make it through But you know what they say We do what we can do Think back, little darling You can't forget last fall You slammed the car door on my head And wouldn't pick up my cars I don't know if we can make it through But you know what they say We do what we can do Don't lie, little darling You have known it for a while I am not the strong one You'll be carrying me down the aisle I don't know if we can make it through But you know what they say We do what we can do Hey there little darling You can see me now You've pried me wide open And it's not good what you found I don't know if we can make it through But you know what they say We do what we can do You know what they say We do what we can do You know what they say We do what we can do